Welcome back to the Fried Egg Podcast. In a minute, we'll get to our preview podcast with Sean Martin and Brendan Porath. But first, I'd like to talk about our U.S. Open Week sponsor, Greater Than Sports Drink. If you like to walk on the golf course, it's important to stay hydrated to play your best golf. Forget the magazine swing tips. Feel good, play good. Greater Than is the best way to avoid dehydration. It's a clean sports drink with two times the electrolytes of the most popular sports drink and no added sugars. I get my Greater Than delivered right to my door every month with their convenient subscription service, which saves 15% off retail. This week, if you sign up for a subscription, you will get a free fried egg hat with your subscription. If you want to try it out first, use the promo code the fried egg with no spaces to get 20% off your first order. That's the fried egg with no spaces to get 20% off your first order. Order greater than or sign up for the subscription at drinkgt.com. Thanks, and here's Brendan Porath and Sean Martin talking the U.S. Open. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, I am joined by Brendan Porath and Sean Martin as we break down the 2018 U.S. Open. Guys, welcome on. Andy, thanks for having us. Great to be back. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time, long time since last time. Happy to be back. Yeah, yeah, since the, uh, since the Masters, since... Uh, or was it the players? The players, the players yeah. It was the players. There was a little uh, dust up. I'm surprised we got the band back together yeah. following that player. The drama. And a lot of drama involving the players. <laughs> um, what are you guys looking forward to this week at Shinnecock? I mean, I think obvious answer is the course, right? I think, I mean, the first two days, that's going to be the story. The players are great, you know. Phil's going for the crew and slam tigers looking for a major, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, I think it's all about the course. This is a pretty awesome site. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely the course, um, which is hard to, it's hard to say when you have tiger woods playing in his first major or first us open in three years. Um, but I think that's how, you know, <laughs> how much of a heavyweight venue we have this year. Like if it's at Aaron Hills or Chambers Bay, you're going to get that usual, um, like all the course content, course drama. Uh, but Tiger is kind of one a still, and that's one B. Um, I think probably outside of the golf, the golf world, you know, listeners of this podcast, it's still going to be a little bit about Tiger, but I think there's this fascination with such a, such a heavyweight venue. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, in terms of U.S. Open, I, I wrote in this uh, first part of my course breakdown how Shinnecock's the, the greatest American championship golf course out there. It's got the combination of history and then just unbelievable design. I think there's no, e there's no shot you can take off out there. And 
I think one of the things that's going to be most fascinating to watch is if the wind picks up, I mean, it, it it's just, it puts such a mental strain on players, especially over four days. It's where you have to think about every single shot over and over again. And it, it's just something we don't see very often is just masterful course design. And I think people that want to draw to Aaron Hills is the big difference is Shinnecock a is much more exposed to the elements because it's on an Island and uh, B if the greens are much more severe and much more, the, the margin for error is so much slimmer approaching them because it's not a public golf course, 365 days a year. Yeah, I'd say uh, like reading your article, reading a few others, I, I'm rarely this kind of psyched about a venue. Um, I think like that's always a part of it. That's always certainly a part of it at the rotating major championships. You want to read up, you want to learn more uh, and try to familiarize yourself with the layout as much as you can. But like this is this is like a little beyond just like familiarizing yourself and being you know enthusiastic about it. Like you're actually psyched to see how these players uh take on such classic course and what i guess what you're calling the best championship major championship venue i just hope the like the fairway widening and then unwidening doesn't get too much attention there's already been a lot about it you know we got it hopefully we can move on um but i don't know i think the course setup is important to talk about uh there's obviously different philosophies that have their own merits but i'm getting a little bit uh there's been such a war of words, I feel like, on Twitter for the last few months on course setup uh, that I'm getting a little bit of fatigue, I think. And I just want to just kind of enjoy Shinnecock that, you know, whether the fairways are 26 yards, 41 yards wide or 65 yards wide, I feel like it's a, a good venue that will produce a great championship. But that's kind of like that's just part part and parcel with the U.S. Open, right? I feel like it hasn't been that bad now in like the week and 10 days leading into it. It's like it's part of like the breakdown of the course, but I don't feel like there's a raging debate about it as far yeah. as I, as far as I can tell, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's better than like screaming about like fescue being oversprayed and stuff like that. <laughs> that's, so. that's a good point. There's just, there's like these two schools and neither of them will concede an inch. There's like the width and angle school, which I think has its merits. There's the old school U S open school. And like, none of them will say like, I don't know. They just, no one gives an inch that, Hey, sometimes width and angles is great. And sometimes thick rough is is doable, you know, for one week a year at the U S open. I just, uh, it's like all, or you're either all in or all out. I feel like, well, well, we've got, we've got the headmaster here of the width and angle school. Uh, you know, why don't, why he was out there last week, Andy, what do you, I want, you're like the definitive authority I want on this, uh, on this fairway narrowing. Uh, you know, like it, it's obviously a, as the as as a proponent of width and angles, it's always disappointing to see narrowing of fairways. That being said, I uh, I don't think that the narrowing is that bad in the sense of you know for the most part the strategy of the golf course is maintained. Like I don't like the one on fourteen where they cut. I, you know they they took off the heroic line. Um, they essentially are making everybody play into a box. Whereas like if you had, you know, cut the corner there, you, there's like a launch pad that would shoot balls like, you know, and, but for the most part, I really like, you know, the setup. I, I think the bigger story that people really aren't talking about is the green expansion. 
So the greens are all probably 25% bigger. And, and if the USGA keeps the speed down, like they've been talking about, we should see way more interesting pin locations than we've seen in years past at Shinnecock. Because one of the things with, you know, I think with tilt versus speed, so everybody's always obsessed with, Hey, we got to have these greens running really fast. Like the problem with that is then all of a sudden you limit the amount of pin positions you have and amount of tilt you can have. So I think a way tougher setup is having slower greens, but putting pins on in locations that have more tilt. So we should see that this, uh, this week with, uh, with the setup and, you know, getting some interesting pins and corners with tilt. No, the funny thing to me is with green expansion, like people understand the merits of it. Like, Oh, you're, taking these greens and recapturing some interesting hole locations because the greens become circular over time and shrink over time. But people don't always understand the merits of fairway expansion. They think like, oh, you're just giving guys a bigger target so they can spread all over the place. It's like, no, we're making the greens bigger to get some old cool hole locations back. Just like we make fairways wider to get some of the uh, cool old lines off the tee back. It's it's just funny to me that they people understand one aspect of making the target bigger but not the other so i have a i have a question like this seems obvious but how different a golf course is it with a 26 yard average versus what it is today like are the players i mean are, like is the bigger issue the green expansion like i'm wondering if they're still hitting it to the same spots and taking the same lines it's just there are wider landing areas obviously the angles are like the core crenshaw thing is you know it was done with the usga but like that creates a whole host of angles for like member play and you know the worst player but how how different of a course is it with i mean it seems obvious that it's much different but is that the case for sure so the other overlook thing that happened was they changed in like 2001 the usga recommended they switch to ryegrass from fescue and fescue is like the best grass you could possibly have to play off of it's firm and fast it's drought tolerant like you know, but ryegrass produces this lush, thick rough, but it needs tons of water. So what happened in 2004 was they cut the water and like the ryegrass just died, you know, in the fairways. So that was part of the problem. And with the fescue grass, since it plays firmer and faster, what in those fairways you saw it, Brendan, and you have playing yeah. there, like they aren't like straight lines, like you're hitting them into angles. So when you have really firm right. and fast fairways, it's not like they're tiny. It's not like they're yeah. like massive. So the ball, you have to hit it on the right line and the right distance with them being so firm and fast. So it's not like the fairways are mega wide. Like you can't yeah. you can't spray the ball and get get away with it. I think the other interesting thing with the rough, like the little rough that's out there is that that the rough's gonna be th- taller. It's not as thick because it's fescue. It's thin, but like what happens? The ball sinks down. Ball might sit up. It's really unpredictable. And what it does is it entices players to try and hit heroic shots. Like when they get into a disadvantaged location, they don't just chip out. They might try and hit the shot that's really low percentage because you know it, it plays against their ego. So you could see an unbelievable recovery shot. But at the same time, more times out of 10, these guys are going to get themselves into even worse positions. And then all of a sudden it brings in double, triple bogey. Um, I think that 
is really the benefit of the wider fairways and the fescue grass change is that you get people thinking they're okay in bad spots. And something that's interesting, when I had Mark Brody on the podcast is like strokes gain doesn't account for angles. Yeah. So like strokes gain and angles. Yeah. There, there's no, so you can't ever like, you can't prove like, Hey, if you hit it to this side of the fairway, like you might be further and closer and that that's good, but you could be in a worse position, but strokes gain doesn't account for that. That's just going to say, Hey, this is, you know, this is, you just gained two strokes on the field. Whereas you could be like, I think like a perfect hole to watch would be eight. If you play, if you play up the right, you're in a horrible place. You've got like a semi blind approach and a really bad angle. You can't get it close to some of the pins, but if you hit it, you know, far, like they're going to say you're going to gain strokes. If you hit it up the left, it's like wide open into the green. So it's a, it's a shot that looks completely different on the right side than the left side. Yeah, I just say like, you know, getting back to the rough, the, my <laughs> not that I'm any kind of barometer for what's going to happen this week, but my first shot I yanked it into the high stuff and I was like in this clump of clump of grass where I couldn't even like get the club face on it. It was just kind of like this crapshoot, almost like a like a Piner's waste area type thing. I mean, it's obviously not as, you know, it's much more uniform than that kind of thing, but there are like it's thinned out. There are areas where you can play it and there are areas where it might be impossible to get the club face on it. And I thought, you know, what kind of, gra- what's the first cut right off the fairway? Is that just That's a- the fescue? Yeah. Okay. So it's just, I thought that was, you know, I mean, <laughs> that was three weeks ago. That seemed to be pretty healthy. <laughs> and that old style us open stuff that some of those guys might like, I mean, it's not the worst of the worst, but it was not pleasant. So moving on from the course, outside of you know, obviously Tiger's the big storyline. What else are you guys watching? Uh, well, as the one person on this pod who hasn't played Shinnecock, I'll go first, I guess. Um, I'm really excited about Justin Rose's chances this week, and I, I, I don't know. I just like watching him play golf. So I know it's not an extreme take, but uh, I don't know, man. He's on some kind of run. I know. I mean, Dustin and, and JT are going to get a lot of the attention this week. Obviously, they're one and two, and in the world ranking and the FedEx cup. Uh, they've obviously kind of separated themselves right now. Tiger, Phil, the usual stuff, but I feel like Justin Rose, I mean, the guy's number thir- three in the world. So I'm not going out on a limb here or anything, but I mean, top tens and 15 of the last 20 starts, four wins, uh, put on a clinic at Memorial. And I feel like that guy, when he's just striping it, there's, it's something to watch. And I just, I don't know. I became a big Justin Rose fan kind of watching at colonial. I think it's back to I mean, the course is number one. I think it's tiger and Phil again. Uh, I kind of want to see, you know, how many more chances do these guys have? I know that's like a boring, well, not a boring, but it's certainly not uh, original. But I, I think like Tiger has struck the ball pretty well. I mean, he struck it really well at Memorial. Uh, I think like there are holes here where I think he's going to be happy to hit his stainer, you know, over and over again. Uh, and that hopefully will keep him in the game off the tee. Um, I think playing with, I think he's with JT and DJ the first two days. That could be interesting as everyone tries to like match club head speeds and ball speeds and all that stuff. Uh, but I, I definitely can't wait to watch Tiger. I think like if you asked me uh, a month or a month or so ago what his chances were, I'd be like he has no chance. Uh, but I think like I was, I don't know, hardened by the 
showing at Memorial from a ball striking perspective and, and kind of, you know, what's become less and less wild. Putting is more of a fickle thing. It can come to you faster than, say, you know, a swing defect that's you can't figure out or a release pattern that you can't find. Uh, but, of course, you could putt like crap again and have no shot. I just think he's got much more of a chance than I thought he would. I just- he just he's still like getting used to contending i feel like like he made these surges at memorial and then it always fell back you know at the players hit in the water on 17 uh even looking back at like ben everill did something for us on his top 10 chances to win a major since tory pines and there were all these times where he had he was in good position after two rounds and fell back on the weekends like there's i mean not that the guy needs to relearn how to win or something but there's just something missing i don't know if it's nerves or if it's just lack of experience being in that position for the last five years or what but he just i don't know it's just he has trouble keeping it going all the way i guess crossing the finish line i mean i I think that's a subtle thing people don't like to talk about out in the open is that there have been chances and they'll just say well he won five times in 2013 but uh he also kind of was in a great shot at muirfield and faded on the weekend at oak hill and did that a handful of times prior that, that the intervening like back troubles and all the other health issues over the last five years may have obscured a bit, a, a thing that might, might be lingering in there. That's like getting in the heat of a weekend at a major, it, it, he might need to test again. Uh, I mean, as, as a competitor, he has to, I mean, he knows his chances are dwindling. So that adds pressure. I mean, he's, you know, he's older, he's four back surgery. He knows that there's not that many more chances to win a major. So, that just adds so much pressure. Yeah, I I think I agree. I think he's rounding into form like from the ball striking perspective, like that's a lot harder to like that's a lot harder to get to, but it also stays longer. The putter has been yeah. I mean like I've never he's always been like the greatest putter of all time and you look at what's happened the last couple of weeks. I mean, he's a putter away from winning. So yeah. that tells me that it's it's closer there, but with everything, there's so much rust accumulated when you've played, you know, sparing golf for the last really like five, six years. So it's, you know, he hasn't been regularly com- com- competing for, you know, a couple of years. That, that's hard, especially when you get uncomfortable. Um, and I think that's the, the thing with golf. You see it at every level. It's like it takes an adjustment for most high school kids to go to college, college kids to, turn pro you know the few automatically adjust and everything but at a pro level you know at pro web to pga tour pga tour you know winning on the pga tour to contending in a major contending in a major to winning in a major that there are all these different kind of areas and i agree with you sean he's got a little bit of a learning curve to get back into it that being said like i i, I don't think i expect i i I would be surprised if Tiger won. I mean, do you think he'll bomb out? No. I think, like, right. I think, I mean, I think he's going to be there, but I just don't think right now he is at the same level as, uh, you know, DJ, a, sure. you know, JT, or even Rory. A, you know, if, I, if I'm watching, you know, one group that kind of intrigues me looking at tea times is the Matsuyama leishman and fowler group you know all three of those guys haven't won a major all three have been really close to major championships hideki was 
really sensational. I saw he jumped like 30 spots in strokes gained approach just from his performance at the memorial. I, you know, he had that wrist injury lingered for a while. And I think we haven't really seen him in top form for a while, but I think when you look at Shinnecock, it, it is a course that should fit Hideki's game really well. He played great at Aaron Hills, which has some similarities. And then I, you know, one of the things that's underrated about Hideki's top 10 in strokes gained around the greens this year. Um, back to Tiger real quick too. How good was he playing going into Augusta? A course that he knows and has so much success on. And he struggled there. And now you're going to Shinnecock where he played in 95 and withdrew in the second round with a wrist injury. And then he played in 04, finished 17th, never really contended. So, I mean, the fact that he couldn't, I don't know, that he didn't get it done at Augusta, I don't think he'll bomb out. I agree with that. But it's going to be hard to do at a course where he does not have a lot of uh, a lot of experience to draw back on. I mean, that being said, nobody in the field really has experience. It's also true. You know. But I think it just helps that much more when you're a guy trying to piece it together. I, just, I, I guess my point was like, not that he's not going to win. I just feel a lot better about his chances than a month, month or two ago when I, you know, Assumed he'd be hitting the balls, hitting balls out of the fescue more than he wasn't, more than he was in the fairway. Uh, it just seems like he's learning to, or not learning, but managing a, a different style and managing his own swing in a different way than at the start of the year. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, getting back to Hideki, and do you feel like that it favors a kind of player? Because you know, you say it tests all parts of the game. I've seen people already say it's it's a bomber's going to win. I think Ted Scott was tweeting that. Somebody else said I mean, that. I also I, I also saw Graham McDowell played. I think it was Doug Ferguson's story. It was like this is like the first one in a while. I feel like I'm not out of it because of distance. Like I feel like this is back to pure pure ball striking, pure iron U.S. mentality, U.S. Open mentality. So, I so saw, you're getting both views. I saw that tweet from Ted Scott, but like my my like instant reaction is like, well, what is a bomber? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, everybody almost like everybody. The, the three quarters sure. of the tour hits it over 300 yards. Like, you know, like it, it, what is a bomber? Is Jordan Spieth, Jordan Spieth, like what, like 40th and <laughs> yeah. in, in, in driving distance? Like, is yeah. he a bomber? I mean, yeah, people will say, oh, he's not a bomber, but he hits it like 300, you know, 300 plus. It's, uh, I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like when we say it's a bomber's course, we're like, eliminating like five guys who aren't going to win anyways you know these days <laughs> i was i was putting together like my long shots article and i was thinking about like okay it, you got to have everything dialed in almost any u.s open this this one you you got to have all the skills like you can't be like grossly deficient at one aspect of the game and and succeed at shinnecock i think if i was going to pick one skill that's most important i think it's the approach I think you get a lot of uneven lies with the fairways that will separate the really class iron players from another. And the other thing is it's always, it's always pretty windy out there because of how exposed the site is. So that is putting a little bit more premium when you go into these really tough repelling greens on distance control and the best iron players have the best distance control. So when you're hitting off side hills, downhills, uphill lies, it gets tougher to control distances, and then with the wind, it's tougher to control distances. So I really kind of think I'm I'm looking at iron players, which is why, like Sean said, I really love Justin Rose. He plays well at Augusta. I think looking at Augusta in terms of like the side hill lies and the different lies you get is is a good comp to look at. Is like okay, like driving might not be as important 
as say at Marion, uh, like driving, uh, you know, I think the real importance will be with approach. So I, I like guys like Leishman is a guy that I really like because he likes firm and fast conditions and he's world-class with irons. Same with Hideki Bryson. I like Bryson yeah. again. <laughs> Bryson's got a, he's going to be all dialed in. I, I am, he's one of my, you know, obvious picks or, you know, contenders. One of my favorites this week. Uh, I, what about Ricky? I, I've thought about that kind of like, you know, he's, he got longer. engaged. Right I know his life's now settled. He's finally found peace off the course. That's what we'll, we'll get that narrative jammed into the broadcast about 20 times this week. But, uh, Ricky and Rose seem to be like convenient picks for everybody. I, I the issue with Rose is just like everybody is now taking him all the time. Everybody took him at the Masters. It's hard to ignore his record. It's just you know he's somehow more under under the radar pick than saying Rory, DJ, Justin Thomas, and Spieth. You know, but but that's that's the only thing that scares me off. It's just like oh, that's not original anymore to say Rose. So. Uh, fun factoids I thought I found I was proud of myself for this uh, granted it's a different era older guys won majors but all three winners at Shanecock in the modern era were 35 plus and the last two were top 10 in the world ranking so I mean that's Rose right there right the only guy over 33 in the top 10 in the world ranking uh, and I think I mean I think that's part of it. I think every golf course obviously rewards experience and skill those are two good things to have but I think I feel like Shinnecock just seems like you have to have a very mature game to win there. I don't know exactly what that means, but it just feels very Justin Rosey, very, <laughs> contr- very controlled, very precise. Uh, so probably Rose in a two hole playoff over uh, Hideki is kind of what I'm going to predict. Paul I'm starting to Paul Casey my... could be a good Go. pick too. Well, that was your, that was your player's pick, right? And then he withdrew. Yeah. Killing me, <laughs> but top he's 11th. He's older. Great iron player. Been around in majors plenty of times. Finally won this year and the first time in a while. So I'm starting to talk myself into a little bit. Uh, I haven't made a pick yet, but I'm talking myself into a back-to-back Kepka win. Been since Curtis Strange, I think, was the last one, 88-89. But I'm kind of talking. He just seems under the radar, if that makes sense. Obviously, he's been hurt most of the first quarter of the year. Posted, what, 63s at the players in Colonial uh, I just feel like he's kind of fully back and ready to go again. I, I'm really talking myself into a Kepka repeat. He doesn't get enough credit for how consistently well he plays in majors. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's he, played well at every type of major golf course, too. True. Uh, the last time he finished outside, well, he finished T21 at the 2016 Masters. He's finished no worse than 13th uh, since. And like his stats are kind of all out of whack this year because he was playing hurt there for a few rounds, you know, and then didn't play for much of the year. So it's, it's, I just, I think you kind of, you're taking a, hopefully a slice of the recency, you know, a little recency bias, but taking those last few starts, um, his obvious natural talent, his ability to hit it far. Um, I think, I just think he's, you know, kind of maybe a U.S. Open-type player that contends here for decades, like a Curtis Strange. And his short game was so impressive at St. Jude, which is going to be sure. important this week. Yeah. 
Yeah, he yeah. he's an underrated great putter also. Going back to 2014 U.S. Open at Pinehurst where he finished fourth, he has two finishes outside the top 25 in majors. It's pretty yeah. good. I think I'm I think I'm selling myself on that repeat as as I don't know not, not, not also not a, the most interesting pick but I think I'm gonna go for it. You guys, uh, who do you think is going to like who's your your long shot? Say a guy that's outside of the top 25 in the world that could you know I don't think I I don't think they'll win but a guy that you could you wouldn't be surprised to see up there in the top five top ten. I'm gonna say you line. Uh, playing well, some signs of life out of him. Uh, solid rookie season. Obviously, a guy with some pedigree, uh, going back to his amateur days. Um, he's, I think, got some lengthy experience. Maybe you know, played well at Quail Hollow, played well at Memorial. Um, I'm just gonna go Peter Uline. Uh, what about Oost? To kind of kind of ball strike I could interest you in. I don't know. I, I don't I mean he's forty to one. He's thirtieth in the world thirty third in the world right now. Um I don't know that he's really he's, <laughs> the question with him south. is like if he cares. He's got the grand know. grand slam of runner ups. Right, right, right. I might go the South African right behind him in the world ranking with Brandon Grace. Hits that Grace. low stinger tee shot which is good in the wind. He, uh played well at Trinity Forest. Appreciates almost, good architecture, appreciates oh, width and angles. Almost won at Chambers Bay too. No train tracks. Yeah. There is a road you could hit it on, but that's you know there are no train tracks to launch it onto. <laughs> Although I guess you could make. Isn't there a temporary Long Island railroad stop somewhere in the vicinity? So, but yeah, he's obviously he's a great pick too as a dark horse. What about you, Andy? Uh, I got a I got a couple. I got uh, I got Trey Mullinax, top ten at oh. last year's uh, U.S. Open. He finished top or T six last week at st jude and uh he had what second at uh valero i think like you know when you're looking for like a really long shot guy i i like mullinax he's i I know he switched coaches this year and he's been way way more consistent than he was last year but i just look at his game and i think it's it's really fit well for major championships he's you look at like a guy like uline is a good pick i think because he's a class player like you know he he knows how to play proper golf he's you know, sure. had decorated amateur career. And I think with when you look at places like Shinnecock, Shinnecock is is closer to what what these guys played regularly on the summer amateur tournament circuit than it is to your weekly tournament to tour stop. Like it is, right. you know, this, to play Shinnecock, you really know, have to know how to play golf, like real golf. Like it's not like you can fire at every flag like there's benefits to being below the hole at Shinnecock Hills versus like just hitting it at, you know, that it's just a different style of golf where it rewards players that really know how to play. Um, I think we see it, you know, this is why no rookies ever won at the masters. Um, you, you really have to understand how to play golf in the golf course to, to succeed at a course like Shinnecock. Um, I like Cam Smith. He hasn't been playing very well lately, but T three at at Chambers Bay, um, and then he had a top five at the Masters. So I I like Cam Smith. I think his his game fits well. I like the Australians, the South Africans. I was gonna say, see like a sand belt or at least knows the firm and fast type Mm -hmm. golf. 
and wind. You know, they they just have a little bit more. Their game is more feel based than than the the point and shoot that's traditional in in American golf. Even Mullinex, Mullinex seems great, but I uh, I was going to disqualify him based on his vineyard vine scripting. Did you see that shirt no. coming out with? It's like red. And then there's a strip that's the New York City skyline in oh. white, like across the chest, and then blue above it. It's just brutal. I mean, what are, I was like, I think, you know, I don't know what kind of autonomy you have, but, you know, I think you're talking about all the numbers. You're telling me about all this game. And I, I'm bringing, I think like Vineyard Vines might have knocked him out of, you know, it might be all moot for that that horrendous t-shirt he's got is that like empire state building like going into his one nipple or something it's just it's not a good i don't get it they're just crowbarring this like patriotism into everything because it's the u.s open you know uh is that why you're down on sergio because they got him looking like a a texan again yeah i don't i think i mean that's obviously the most mind-boggling one is they put all these fo- these companies put all these foreigners in the American flag, draped them in red, white, and blue. Like, come on, guys! Just because it's the U.S. Open, we don't need to like force the issue here. Like, I don't. It makes no sense. Guys from Spain, they got him looking like he's you know big tax. It's just gets gets. That's that's my uh, old U.S. Open take. I don't know that. So do you know, do you not that, want the equipment companies giving the red, white, and blue bags to the foreign players? I think it's just all a little too forced but you know they have they have brands to build and things to sell and you know impressions to make and things like that but i i think like if you stop and think for a minute like it kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense for some guy from wherever sweden or spain or ireland (laughs) to be dressed like you know he's uncle sam like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but whatever i I wish he was dressed like uncle sam that would be (laughs) scripting that's scripting I get into. I uh, Anyways, I think I player way pl- off track. Player scripting is overrated. It's gotten way too overrated. I think like I wouldn't like it as a player. I'd I'd want to wear whatever I felt like wearing that day. You know. I agree. You should be able I to agree. divert from what you what they say you have to wear. You know. Problem is they have these contracts and these are their four events with all the exposure. I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. That in the forced, like, New York thing. Like, is this anything, like, when you think, like, Shinnecock Hills and the Hamptons, it's not, like, they're trying to ram this in like you're going to Yankee Stadium or something. Or, like, the Mets game. There's, like, all these, like, idiots with accents screaming stuff. Like, it's not, it's like a different scene, different vibe, and they're just, you know, this is New York. It's not New York. It's the Hamptons. You're an hour away. And I mean, you're, in, you're technically you're in New York. not Beth Page. It should be like you're in uh, you're in pastels and you know and preppy ass shit, you know. <laughs> but no, we're gonna get this whole like, oh, it's uh, this is New York golf, Big Apple. It's not at all. So, mother pet peeve. Here seems to be a good time to talk about a factor which could loom large in this championship: hydration. Remember when VJ was using deer antler spray? Hydration might be the new legal way to have a leg up. The best way to stay hydrated is greater than the delicious clean sports drink. It has two times the electrolytes and no added sugars to give you the best possible chance to play well. 
buygreaterthan at drinkgt.com. And if you sign up for their subscription service, you will get a free fried egg hat this week. Or use the promo code THEFRIEDEGG with no spaces for 20% off your first purchase. Purchase greater than at drinkgt.com. Um, so uh, we got a question about amateurs. You know, this is the podcast for amateur golf. Smarten, you just you just you're fresh off the NCAA's. Who you who you liking for low am? Uh, maybe Doug Gim going for the double. Uh, Stuart Hagestad's got a little you know Metropolitan Golf Association experience that so could serve him well. I thought he was retired from competitive golf, and I saw him at sectionals, and now he's playing. Uh, I'm going to go big Stu Hagestad. Mature game, obviously mid amateur experience in the area. Uh, I think he won the Met Am, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm going to go big Stu, come out of retirement to brush off another low am at a just blue blood golf course. Why Why is Gim still an amateur? To play Shinnecock, baby. Yeah, I guess that. Is, I mean, is I he, think, you know, Doc turned pro to play Memorial. Uh, personally, I would have probably waited. I understand the importance of getting starts, but. I mean, Shinnecock seems worth it to, to wait a couple weeks. You'll see a fair amount of guys finish out their career at the U.S. Open just because, you know, if you, you had NCAAs and then if you didn't get into Memphis, uh, you, you had no reason to turn pro until after the U.S. Open and then start at Travelers. A lot of guys start their careers at Travelers. So I think this is just a, a, f- a farewell to amateur golf for Doug Gim. Does Gim get an Open Championship exemption or is that just the winner? Because I know, like, there's McCormick medal. There's a couple that – because – I never understood just wait, you know, some of the guys bouncing after the U.S. Open, just give it another like three or four weeks and play the Open Championship too. Yeah, but there's so many places that'll give you starts, like Deer right. and Travelers and the National. Sure. Uh, sure. So I think that's why. I think I'm going with. I think Thornberry. I I want to ah, go yeah. with him, <laughs> but I, I Thornberry is a stud. You know, he, he he's won a ton and as a college player, NCAA win. He's got. You know, he's got top a T4 from last year's uh, FedEx St. Jude. He finished top 25 this week there or last week there. So I just think he's a guy that that he can really get in there and, and be, you know, be able to handle the moment well. I think, I mean, I, I like Doug Gim too, um, but I, I think I'm going with, uh, with, with Big Braden. Yeah, that's my... Braden Holtby, Braden Thornberry. It's like a big, big month for Braden. I'm, I'm, uh, he's my guy. He's playing with Duffner and Snedeker too. Like, not that's a pretty, pretty legit tee time for for an amateur. I know he's not like your run of the mill amateur local qualifier, but that's a those are some legit players to go off with. So I, he's my amateur pick. What do What do you guys think about the tee times? <laughs> Just in general, yeah. People are people are making big deal about featured pairings and all this this stuff. You know, Rory talked about how it should be their job to get people in the same pairing on the weekends, not at you know at the beginning of the week. Do you think? Do you think that high profile pairings set up the people in those high profile pairings to fail? Um, I could see it adding pressure. There's so much movement, but it's almost like the tiger effect. It's like. It's like you're playing with the Tiger effect back when Tiger was in his prime, if that makes sense, because there's just so many people inside the ropes. Uh, and I think that's really the big thing. I mean, it's the fans, definitely, but 
so many people inside the ropes throws off your timing. You've got to wait for everyone to get settled. You know, people talk about pace of play and like, that's a big part of it is you got to just sit there and wait for one kind of like find their spot inside the ropes. And I think that can be a little jarring. Um, and just to then all the, the noise and, and whatnot, I could see Rory's I mean, point, but there's no, there's no bigger buzzkill than like a great pairing that has two great players. And then that one guy where you're like, Oh, this was so close to being the perfect pairing. And then they threw in some rando. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I mean, at the end of the day, there's two experiences, right? You got to worry about what's on the ground. We also got to worry about what's on TV and like Thursday, Friday, you know, you got, you want to give people, you want people watching your tournament. And so you got to feel what they want. It's entertainment. It's an entertainment business. I just, I think like you can't just spread them out all over the T-sheet with, you know, Eric Axley or whoever, you know, they just, uh, like you gotta, it's an entertainment business. You gotta, you know, the TV pays the bills, sponsors pay the bills and, I think he's got a point about it. Maybe, you know, what it, what did uh, at Riviera? I think Thomas said what it cost him like half a stroke playing with Tiger. Tiger probably gets, you know, has to be two strokes better than everyone else just because of the galleries around Tiger. Um, you know, I think there is some like merit to playing in a featured group having some impact on your on your round, but I, I think like it's an entertainment business at the end of the day and, and putting them together. Like there's really not, there's not much else. They sh- there's not the alternative there. I don't think there really is an alternative to be honest with you. They're not going to like spread them out all over the place with one star and a couple lesser known guys. I haven't done it yet. Cause it'd be a lot of work. Uh, maybe I'll see if someone else will do it, but it'd be really interesting to look at guys and it'd be hard because it'd be a small sample size, but guys strokes gain total when they play in a feature group, versus the rest of the year uh, and like see if there's a market difference. It'd be hard because guys so rarely play in feature groups except for maybe four or five big names, but that would be one way to look at it. I'd be very curious about that. Yeah. And like guys like DJ and JT are in featured groups every single time. Sure. Yeah. So So let's say, uh, let's say somebody's going out and watching golf this week. And obviously, you know, I, you got the big groups, but what's the one? What are the groups flying under the radar you'd recommend? Hey, if you want to go watch golf, go watch these groups or group. Uh, Bryson, Fitzy, and Kuchar. That's exactly what I was going to say. Sorry, I stole it from you. No, you're good. Go for it. I think that's uh, a great one. Go ahead. I mean, all amateur, former amateur winners, some different styles, obviously. Um, Russell Henley, Aaron Wise, Peter Uline. I was looking at that one too. I think uh, it would be uh, you got. What about Big Spain Group? Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> that was a. I mean, I, what's up with that one? I mean, it's the U.S. Open. I don't know. It's just what do we start putting all? Why don't we put all the Swedes together? I think they're trying to see who they can deck out in more American gear of the <laughs> Spaniards. <laughs> How about Aaron Baddeley? You got tossed into the with the canucks you know that that amateur nhl referee that garrett rank guy is like an nhl <laughs> garrett rank can yeah. really play yeah but they put him with Mackenzie hughes and then they just like tacked on aaron battley meanwhile adam yeah. Adwin off playing with whoever like i don't why is battley in that one i don't understand R- that ranks well battley was born in new hampshire which is almost canada god of course you'd come with that <laughs> uh rank that. coming off Rank's coming off a tough week at Dogwood Amateur, guys. So, I don't know. He's going to have to rebound from that, too. <laughs> That's what you're here for, Dogwood Amateur talk. <laughs> um, 
I think that that Henley Wise and Uline is probably the one that takes the cake. No. Yeah, I'd say that that's a good one. Um, I mean, Fleetwood, Molinari, and and Norn is going to go. People aren't going to be watching that. I don't think as much as they should. That'd be a really good group. Alex Norn could be a good pick this week. Um, I, I I think that the one that caught my eye was Henley Wise and Uline. Um, yeah, I think that you got three really talented younger guys you know sub 30 guys and you know wise might end up being you know the most you know one one of the most dominant or you know top five players on on the tour in the next five years casey kodaira and grace it's not another one that's not bad you know three different styles international flavor you know broad two horizons her- two heritage champions you got you got China, South Korea, and uh, Thailand with Kira Ditch, uh, Big Woo Woo, and uh, Hao Tong. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, questionable. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about doing that one. What if, what if if Big Woo Woo takes down the uh, U.S. Open? Like, will he finally get the respect he deserves? Hopefully, right. I think he gets the respect he deserves in these quarters, and that's all that matters. That's- I just I think it's kind of a problematic theme there by the usga but who knows yeah it's uh <laughs> all right so uh let's get into some overrated underrated what uh, or i guess let's talk about dj is can you you guys like dj this week rolling off like is he gonna break this nobody ever wins the week before a major curse no he stinks i was talking I was talking to someone about this yesterday. It's not like it's like the whole oh, it's hard to follow up a low round with another one, which everyone says until someone shoots like 61, 62 in Las Vegas. But it's just that like the odds of winning for DJ are like what four percent, five percent, maybe a little higher, maybe a little, I don't know. I'm not an oddsman, uh, and so he won. And then the this week again, the odds are four or five percent. Well, what are the odds of something that has a five percent probability happening back to back? They're not good. It's not like. I think the win, especially for DJ, a guy who doesn't get very stressed out, he's pretty relaxed. It was a pretty easy victory. He kind of rolled down the stretch. Like, it doesn't hurt at all. Like, it's not like he wasted all his good shots in Memphis. Like, he, if anything, I think it just helps. He won pretty easily. He feels pretty good. And now he's going to try to win again. Like, I don't know. I just think that's a overdone storyline that really is just some pretty simple probability. Oh, like last year, he won, uh, won three events in a row. And he finished, you know, T second and the the next one out. So I kind of think, I think DJ and I think a lot of the players, like we saw it with JT earlier this year, is that it's all about getting hot at the right time. And, you know, winning is about a couple things going the right way. Obviously, DJ was going to win that tournament last week because he played exceptionally well and he's the best player in the world. Like the him and, you know, or he's one of the best players in the world. Whenever one of the top, seven or eight guys plays their best they're probably going to win uh it's i think when you get into a major it's about getting a few breaks too so i think it's it's a good thing i think i think he'll be i would guess that he's going to finish in the top 10 i'd be surprised if he didn't would you guys yeah that's the thing i was like winning is much lower probability but i would be surprised if he wasn't you know yeah top 15 top 20 and of course we said this last year and then he, Day, and Rory all got completely ejected from Aaron Hills. Last year was a little different. He was injured and just had his kid. Life was not settled entirely off the course as he was, you know, watching his second child being born and then jetted right up. But 
I don't know. It's you never U.S. Opens kind of can go sideways so fast that you know, the the highest ranked players all of a sudden are completely ejected. Do you think backstopping is going to consider to be continue to be center stage uh, as we get into this week? Oh my god! I can't believe the the, the fury over this. I guess you know Jimmy just really cop to it you know he's like just gave put it on a platter for like the, everyone's just been waiting for someone to to turn and and whether he unwittingly did it or not he certainly you know it, it's slightly more interesting i guess than fescue gate you know dominating the first two or three days last year but i don't i don't i think it's despite the many vocal i, I think it's not right and it's not a great practice but the fury on Twitter might not be commensurate with the actual world problem that it is. So it's amazing to see a, a professional player a admitting to breaking the rules, but b also not knowing a very basic rule of You're golf. Right. <laughs> um, well, but, I think the worst part of it though is like it's he made it into like a popularity thing. It's like it's not just he's not just breaking the rule; he's also selectively applying. Now his playing partners are going back to their head. Like, did he play yeah. the ball when he played with me or not? Like, right. There was right. this whole other angle, too, of like Aaron kept coming in with like, well, you know, Twitter, you don't really understand what people are saying. And like there was like veiled, like people were wondering, like, well, was he joking? Is he messing with us right now? Is he reverse trolling? Like there's a whole other like subtle angle of like what's actually going on here. Did he really just like come clean or was it a joke or was it some weird sarcasm? I don't know. There's a whole like subplot that is waiting to be unveiled. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's a media member, I'm very happy that a lot of these guys have Twitter accounts, but if I was an agent, I'd probably tell them not to have a Twitter account or just delete it. I mean, unless you're some big little brand boy, like, you know, cars and mortgages and stuff like that then you need it but i just i don't think you really need it if you're jimmy walker jimmy's twitter game though was underrated because like he doesn't use it very often except to insert himself in these arguments like he only like he there's not a lot of self-promotion going on there's not a lot of like selfies from the bahamas like it's only to like and he doesn't mind coming out you know guns blazing i guess texas metaphor but like he doesn't mind just just di- diving right in to give his, his take it's you know usually twitter is like this curated kind of corporate vehicle uh more and more that's what it's used for as you pointed out but like he just comes in just to like stir things up walker, he did it with the ball right the yeah back. yeah he's he's a he's a company man walker texas backstopper <laughs> oh, <laughs> you've, been, you've been waiting for that one. Oh, jesus it was in the newsletter <laughs> this morning. <laughs> he, uh, he, he, I, I, I mean, it seems like he's always getting in tiffs with Clayton and uh, Shackelford. <laughs> is that? Well, yeah. It's a very different kind of... And the thing is, he's... What is he? He's like almost 40, right? I mean, he's been through, you know, did the mini tour thing, did, you know, was a super talent and kind of late bloomer. I think it's just interesting to hear him, like, because he's not this... this teenager who came up playing a certain kind of way with only certain kind of equipment with only you know this whole backstopping you know backstopping phenomenon in play since he's been in whatever his first year on tour he's kind of been through it all it's weird to see him so vehemently take one kind of mindset that's 
you'd think would be a younger generation. I I think I I actually like Walker this week. You know, <laughs> he's playing well. He's got his game back. Uh, Aaron did make me very nervous. Aaron put out a very stern warning that like Long Island is the center of the Lyme disease problem and walking through tall grass is the easiest way to get it and i was like well great now it's all i mean that's what shinnecock is is tall grass and long island oh yeah they have signage out you see signage it's basically like if you walk through this tall grass take a shower at when you get home and call your doctor if you feel fatigued and sick it's like that's all they have signage all over the course and like watch for ticks basically not good i think i'm a pants man not shorts yeah yeah it is what do you think about that I mean, as, as a as a hefty individual, this is like my sweet spot. <laughs> you know, seventy degrees. I can wear kind of bag. You know, some pullovers. You know, to obscure my body type. Like it's not going to be sweaty. It's like perfect. But what about for the course? I think we have to make perfect. sure to coordinate our vest. Uh, our vest game because we have the same vest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not the viewer care but that would be embarrassing if we all showed up in the same vest to follow like big spain at the same time <laughs> the uh i uh i think uh i think the weather's great though this is this is ideal weather oh couldn't, it's perfect couldn't be better just, weather for championship golf you think u.s open you just think like 80 and humid or 85 and humid or, or all u.s get... open should be long island or california you know what, so what do you think what's it gonna do for the course it's just uh, you can just get a little bit more aggressive with a golf course when it's not like you have to when it's hot and humid you have to worry about diseases and everything. I don't I don't know everything about turf, but I know yeah. that when it's when it's cooler, it you know the grass doesn't grow as much, so you can you can push it a little bit more. Uh, I don't think they want to get the greens that fast, but it, they can if it especially if the wind picks up. It, I think it'll be a little firm. It'll be real firm fast um which will be ideal for for championship golf i think you know we're just getting good karma because you know the golf gods know that we don't have a real major championship in uh in august you know we're playing bell reven in in st louis it's gonna be a hundred hundred percent humidity every day <laughs> so it's just the the world balancing us out some of your, tra- some of your transitions kind of- are just amazing <laughs> The PGA is kind of like a Firestone, Firestone, uh, I don't know, Firestone light, like a WGC site. Yeah, this year is all time low. So wait, what? So real quick, then it seems like we're getting ideal, ideal weather, not if not ideal, but not bad. The course seems to be perfect. There's not too many complaints. Where can we get into trouble? Uh, how, how can the USGA mess it up? Shuttles. We already saw the tweets coming in today. I love. I wish, I'm so far gosh, in my head on that. Like, I actually prefer it now. Like, I wish I've got, people. I wish people would not tweet about the shuttles. It's not a good look for the profession. Oh, I think it's great. I'm too. I'm oh, so deep not. in the process now that I actually want it. I, I actually to, don't I, mind a, a decent shuttle ride at the end of the day. It gives you time to clear the head. You know, you can talk to people. I don't know. It's not I mean, what it's. You're sitting in an air conditioned vehicle. It's not like you're <laughs> for being forced to hike. To, and miles back to our hotel. Oh, well, how can the USGA f it up? How can the course get somehow get screwed up? Was it a ruling? Probably green, is what the green speeds. Yeah, they let the. I think it, if the less it, the slower the, it, I I like it being you know twelve on the stimp or eleven on the stimp, and keeping like all the pins available 
you're you're not going to get yourself in any trouble but if they it, what i don't i if the wind doesn't blow i think there's scoring available and i just worry that what will happen is some good num- numbers will go up and people will freak out like the game has has changed completely like this is not the golf isn't the same now as it was in 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 1994 like it's, yeah. it's different like so don't hold on to par like it doesn't matter like a really good golf course like what we will probably see is we'll see the best player separate himself you know and i think the best five to ten players will have a chance going into into sunday but a lot of people will be really far out of it and you'll be talking about well with tiger or rory they'll be saying well they could they could win if they shoot 29 if they yeah. they shoot 29 on the front nine then they got a chance <laughs> like we'll, we'll see that but there'll be five to ten players i wouldn't be surprised if you know people are hoping for plus over par scoring i think the scoring if 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 the weather is the way it looks will be the winner is going to shoot about 600 is my guess well that's i think phil said if the winning score i think he said six under somewhere five to seven under then the usga got it right if it's like an even par then something went wrong but they didn't do it they didn't set it up properly yeah i i, I kind of agree like unless it, like if the wind picks up one day you, yeah. you're gonna see carnage like that's when this golf course is like Un- unbearably hard but like it just it, scoring does not mean like i think like one of the most important things is like the difference between hard and challenging like hard is like challenging i think is better than hard where you know mm-hmm. it, it's diff it's still difficult but it it allows you to succeed you know challenging right. like it's not right. just overly hard and i think challenging is what we want to see we want to see great shots rewarded with birdies we don't want to see just like a bogey fest. Like I want to see great shots, you know, and I want to see people hit recovery shots. And, and I I might be in the minority, but I think this is the type of golf course that allows for that. It's not a chip out fest. Yeah, I mean, I, I sent you the text as I was reading your thing last night. I think like one of the best ways I've heard the Shinnecock test, you know, summed up was about that Mayweather line you used about how it's it's just kind of, always laying in wait for you to make a mistake it's not like there's not like very specific points where it's throwing giant uppercuts you just always have to be you know fighting a perfectly tactical fight and it's always you know testing you at all different times in different ways and i thought that was like a perfect summation of of the the full test there's all sorts of different par threes you you can't just be you can't just overpower it. You, you, there's so many different ways it can beat you up or, or catch you when you're not, if you're deficient in a certain area or you hit a deficient shot. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's the way I looked at that. When you play it, like every hole you could birdie out there, but right. every hole you could make like a bogey, a double or a triple. Like you don't feel like there's no scent. You're never comfortable out there. It's always forcing discomfort on, on players. And I think that's, why it's such a great golf course. It just feels like the USGA is always like, it's just in their nature to walk a tightrope. Um, they're always, I think trying. they'll be careful this week though, but I just feel like, yes, given the weather, given the venue, they're walking a tightrope. That's only like, you know, eight feet off the ground with a net at like five feet. It just feels like for them to really like screw this one up. They have to like kind of, I don't know what they really lost the plot, but which they've been known to do. And, 
as a media member, like I, th I think they admit, you know, the media roots for this kind of stuff because it, it's just, you know, manna from heaven when you have players shouting about conditions or, you know, them watering the green in between shots. Uh, but yeah, it just seems like they have such a, it, they really, really have to screw this one up to, for there to be drama. All right. You guys want to do some overrated, underrated? I don't know. You burned it last time. Let's see what you got. <laughs> these are all these are all listener generated. So I noticed Xander Shoffley's gone MC MC since uh, the players, but uh, we'll get into that. No, it was just you know the fried egg is the home of quality journalism, quality content. Really, you know, delves into stories. It's not hot takes, and then we just get taken out of context. <laughs> the problem tweet. is, it's put us in the untenable position of like somehow thinking Xander stinks or wanting him to stink, which is not the case at all. We both love him. It was a very, there was a lot of context to those if, answers. If you roll back the tapes, yeah. I told everyone that I was going to, the next time he finishes <laughs> high, I was going to call you out. Like, I, I, I said what I was going to do on air. You know, I, I... Yeah, but we weren't saying that, like, he's not a good player. We were just saying that, like, his stock is very high because he's coming off a good year, and so his stock might be at one of its higher points than one of its lower points because he's coming off such a strong year. All right, overrated, underrated, Xander Shoffley. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm <laughs> he's a great. He's a great player. He's a very nice person. He's good for the game. I, you know, love watching him play. But we're not going to go down this road. <laughs> All right. All right. First, real overrated, underrated from outside the cut. Attending practice rounds instead of tournament rounds. I'm so jaded. Is like I mean I do this. 15 weeks a year for work. Uh, from a fan perspective, I would say underrated because you can film swings. You can watch guys practice. Like, I feel like if you're a, if you're a golf nerd, practice rounds are where it's at because you can film, you can watch how guys do things. Uh, it's usually slower. So like, like if you're not following a huge star, there's opportunities for like interaction with guys. Like if you're just asking what they're working on, that kind of stuff. So like for the golf nerd, uh, I would say underrated. Um, yes, I would say it's underrated. I think like, and let's be honest, you know, you get a more holistic view now on TV. It's easier to watch on TV. It's, you know, the broadcasts are really good, usually most of the time. Um, and, you know, I think unless certainly like at the Masters, you're completely cut off, but Masters is more about the experience of being there. I think at a place like the U.S. Open, you can have radio and leaderboards and all that other stuff. But um, I think practice round is where it's at. You scout out, you can kind of get a feel for how severe the, the elevation changes are, or, or kind of what what kind of grass they're playing on, all that kind of stuff. And then when you can go home and watch it from that ten thousand foot view on TV, that's the way to do it. I am in the same boat. Underrated. I actually like hate going to tournament rounds. I. Uh... I, that's why I'm coming back from Shinny uh, Friday morning. Is uh, the with like the especially with the way Fox um, broadcasts it with all the hours, like you're mm -hmm. you get a better picture of it that way. I think like the experience of going to U.S. Open like in a tournament round for like the casual fan, like for the for any fan, like one round is awesome. But over like the long haul, for especially what we do, I think that. It's it's slightly overrated um, going to the actual tournament rounds. I think there's there's cool things you can do too. To, like if you just watch one group, 
especially it's tougher at a major um because like there's so many more people out there but like if you're at a regular tour event just watching one group that's underrated by far like just watching a threesome for 18 holes um so uh next uh next topic um overrated underrated and this is from matthew swindells uh the idea of a u.s open rota I think I mean, there kind of is one, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, sp- they sprinkle in the surprise every once in a while, but I mean, there's kind of what would there, be, there's what would be I, your U.S. Open rota? We'll just tweak the question. I think that's a question mostly for you. I mean, it's Pebble, Oakmont, Shinnecock, Wingfoot. That's four. You need somewhere in the middle of the country, which is what. <sighs> I, I I'm I'm checking out Inverness in a couple weeks. I'm excited that's, to see that. That's my issue with the Rota question is like, like it preclude it would preclude some of like the classic courses getting back in there if they make changes. I, I mean, I don't know how Actually, rigidly I'm going to say, I'm going to say the idea of Rota is overrated because by not having one, you can sprinkle in like yeah the randoms. What so like you can have an Inverness? Like, would Inverness be in your list of eight clubs? It might not be, but like it's good for one every twenty years, so it gives you a little flexibility. So I'm going to say, I think that the Open Championship. I'm not against Rota, but I'm going to say. Uh, what if we did even? What if we did six six Rota courses with two wild cards? I think that's a great. Every great eight, idea. so every eight years, there's two wild cards and six standards. And the wild cards, I would love to see be like one kind of classic. You know, maybe U.S. historic U.S. Open course that maybe I don't know. Maybe it doesn't have the infrastructure space, or maybe it just doesn't have the length. You don't like to see what they did to Marion obviously but like you want those courses to still be put in that kind of spotlight and that kind of appreciation and, and then maybe one i don't know that's maybe more modern but uh, you get into dicey dicey situation there but i think that's the best solution I think six question, with a couple wild cards favorite question do you want us open going back to like um these modern links again or do you want the us open to reclaim an identity as like classic courses I, so like would your wild cards be like an inverness or would your wild card be like a i don't know Aaron not stream song but somewhere like a doke um, well, that's what I'm saying. i don't think you any of those too. are really built for it I, I like that's like the thing is like i don't know with the with the current setup i i, I mean i think those places could be cool but i don't think they deliver what everybody wants i think i think what i'd like to see more is so you got Oakmont, you've got uh, Shinnecock, you've got, I think Bethpage is obviously one that people love, but like these are all East Coast things. It's like, then you go, you've got LACC and you've got um, maybe, I say the Olympic Club. The West Coast is so awesome because of the t- the viewing experience of getting sure. to watch this unfold at, you know, 8 p.m. Central Time and, and you know, like getting that primetime viewing is unbelievable for like the fans. So I would like to see more West Coast options, but there, unfortunately, there aren't that many options uh, out there. Chambers Bay, I think they should get a, another chance. Um, I think that would be like a good wild card use. But if I was going to go to six six place Rota, the majority of them would be on the East Coast. Well, Bethpage is PGA. Yeah, I know. Territory. Olympic Club right? too. Olympic clubs, PGA. Oh, that's right. They, yeah, they're, so. buy, they're buying up this uh, the the USGA's. Uh, that's right. Yeah, sloppy so, session. what would your six be? 
we've so got, we've got, you got Pebble, you got yeah. uh, Oakmont, you've got Shinny, you've got Wingfoot. That's four. Mm-hmm. You've got um, it's Olympics out. LACC, I guess I'd put in there. So you got a West Coast one. Uh, nothing in Chicago does it. Nothing in Michigan or Ohio. I don't. Th- I don't think Chicago's got a course that that works. I don't think Wisconsin has one that works. I don't think uh, Oakland Hills is doing this. Uh, Gil Hans, I think restoration. I think is going to go through. So Oakland yeah. Hills would be my uh, my Midwest one once it's once it's done. There you go. I was going to say Southern Hills in their hands, but Southern Hills is PGA also. Yeah. PGA just... It, it's too hot in, in Oklahoma in June, too. Yeah. You know, like, the, this is, like, a great time to go to New York or uh, Pennsylvania or the West Coast or the Midwest. Like, that's, like, the other thing is is that with the PGA moving, it limits who can host the PGA now. So you lose all of the upper Midwest, the New York Oak Hill could be one that you could, you could get in there too. Oak Hill. Brookline for us open. That's a cool one too. I think that's like the wild card. You you bring those classic, like a, like an Inverness, a Brookline. Uh, you try to Marion, like whatever you can do to get like those classic us open venues that maybe aren't, can't be regular. I, I don't know. I don't know how you make. Uh, I want to say I want to say Brookline turned down the U.S. Open in 2013 because they were going. They wanted to go there for the centennial of We Met's victory, but they had the amateur instead because I think Brookline didn't want the U.S. Open, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they have one in the next what four or five years? Pretty soon, right? 2022 or something. Brookline. Yeah, yeah I think they're 2022. They're, is that the year before uh, LACC? Right. Okay. That's right. I think so. Um, yeah. So Brookline would be a good one too. I don't. There's nothing in Minnesota that could that could host. There's, uh, I mean, eventually when we get to no spectator events, it'd be cool if like Sandhills had one, but <laughs> it's not happening anytime soon. <laughs> you want to talk about bad shuttle rides? That would be a really bad one. <laughs> Imagine, uh, how would the players react to that? The pros. Oh, that place would be so awesome. They have so much space. Oh, I mean, you get like the Trinity. No, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think like, I think one of the things is like, because it's ranked in the top 10 in the country, like, sure. and everybody says this is the greatest modern golf course ever built, like built, like you, you can't get, but like, nobody can complain about that. Like it had Trinity Forest been like a top 50 golf course. I don't think yeah. players would have complained the way they did before, but I think everybody leaving Trinity Forest was like, well, this was a really fun golf course. Like, you know, it's like, no. Like if you great golf course design rewards great golfers, like right. you know, and they right. they they quickly learn that hey, like this is a golf course that like if I play well, like I'm gonna play really well. If I don't play well, it, it you know I could shoot some bad scores, but it's gonna reward good play. Um, all right, um, overrated, underrated, U.S. Open Father's Day storylines, and this is from Josh Borziak. Uh, I'm going to say underrated only because I think in our cynical age, we just like, I mean, yes, these things probably get overdone, but like, you know, you see it, like it means something to guys. Like I think of like the Furyx and not to get overly sentimental here, but like, I mean, I'm a, I have a son, like if he were to win on father's day, like that would be amazing. So I don't know, man. I think like fathers are usually pretty involved in their son's golf careers, you know, some, 
too much maybe, but like a father and son with a really good relationship, like that being the culmination of kind of the relationship. I don't know. Like, I think it's pretty cool. I think we just live in a very cynical age. Um, yeah, sure. Underrated. I mean, look, I guess. it's an, it's an easy storyline. It's a cheap storyline. People probably go to it too much, but at the end of the day, pretty awesome. I, uh, yeah, sure. I'm like Mike Gundy. I'm a man, I'm a dad, I'm a father. So it, it, it hits me. Uh, I don't know. It hits me. It's probably underrated. I guess you appreciate it more when you become a dad, but like they certainly play into your play into your emotions and like manipulate your emotions that way. The yeah. more offensive one is the, Hey, you're from the same country as this legendary player. How did he influence your career? And like, sometimes obviously guys were influenced by their fellow countrymen, but sometimes they weren't. And the poor guy has to like manufacture an answer because he doesn't want, he doesn't want to say in public, well, he had no impact on me whatsoever. So he has to like stumble through some, made up answer to respect his elder statesman well uh i am gonna say father's day storylines are underrated <laughs> wow there we go all right i got i got my uh i got my only hole in one on father's day with my dad and it's like a memory i'll never forget so like when you think about like the hey I, I, I mean they're much more personal stories but i think it's uh you know, it, it'd be it'd be a different story if it's like if you have like a father's father relationship like Patrick Reed has. Like now that that's a different you know <laughs> angle. But most like like uh, I mean, most fathers are pretty involved with their son's golf game. Um, so I think that uh, I'd say it's underrated. Um, all right, last uh, who, who's your pick? Uh, you got you got Rose Smartin. Uh, Rose over Matsuyama in a. They tie the first two holes. It goes another five holes, but Rose eventually holds off Matsuyama on Monday morning. I'm going uh, Kepka. You heard it earlier. Kepka back to back. I was gonna pick Rose, um, but <laughs> yeah. I can't. I can't do it now that uh, right. Sean's on on Rose Island. So I will go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with Rory. Wow. wow. I was figuring. I was amazed that we hadn't even mentioned it. Yeah, I just uh, yeah, I'm I'm going Rory. I I think it's been a it's been a long time, you know. The, what's that rap song? It's been a long yeah, time. Yeah, no, I was playing <laughs> in my head. Yeah, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I think uh, I think I'm I'm going Rory. I don't know why. I just uh, there's nothing about this week that screams Rory McIlroy except the fact that he's really good at golf. Yeah, except he's like he's he's unbelievable at golf, and when he's on, he's on, and. Uh, I could see. I mean, it's a golf course that it it, it tests everything, and it, and it's going to reveal talent. You know, I think you're going to see whoever wins is going to be a very, 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 very talented golfer. It's going to be one of those people that you always say, "Well, you might be the most talented player on the world in the world." So I think uh, I, I'm going with uh, Rory. My issue with Rory is he kind of like walks onto the first tee already pissed off at the USGA. I feel like he's just not. And when things start to go sideways, he, I don't know, he gets a little Bubba-ish at U.S. Opens, I feel like. but It's going to get windy. He's going to have to flight it. I don't know if he loves flighting it. Anyways, yeah. Not to trash your pick. Hey, it's okay. I just get scared. Remember who was on the right side of the Shoffley debate. <laughs> yeah, Sean, did you say everything was underrated this time? The, as a... I think I did. I was definitely... <laughs> Uh, I was definitely thinking about that, making that my protest, but I just didn't say anything. But I definitely, uh, 
I mean, that's the safe, right? Underrated is the safe way out. No one's going to, everyone's happy. Everyone leaves happy. You say everything's underrated. You know, just because you've been a regular on the pod, you don't need to expose your secrets to the, you know, future guests. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, it's been been fun. Maybe we'll uh, we'll catch you after, but uh, we'll see you out on uh, Long Island uh, in the next couple of days. And uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, see so you guys up there. Thanks, thanks guys. All right, bye. You've been listening to the Fried Egg Podcast. We do the digging for you. 